0: You know Thorn all he'll ever be. Thought in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. My name is M. Welcome to Thorn in Your Side. This is part two of doing a turn of the year introspective. It's a two-parter in the sense that the first part I, I talked about my personal story. And I hope that that would pave the way for this episode, which will involve some chatter about my thoughts on politics, particularly within Australia, and also how the last year and the events of last year impacted as I mentioned in my last episode uh, I do feel that the personal does impact upon the political despite what other commentators or activists or humans (laughs) might suggest Um, as I did mention in the last episode uh, to make that separation might often betray a sense of privilege to be able to do such a thing so at least speaking on behalf of myself The personal and the experiences thereof certainly do manifest and assist with cultivating at one's world's view and also one's way of participating and responding to things. So here we go. Now, what I might do to start off here is a recent article that I found on a website called The Conversation. Now, in case there's people out there who aren't too familiar with that website, it's often a go-to website for academics, the lefty cognoscenti. (laughs) Uh, There's um, a lot of intellectual viewpoints. It's very much an academic domain. Um, But what particularly caught my attention was an article that, that lobbed up there recently where it was authored by a fellow called Hugh Brakely, the president of the Australian Association for Professional and Applied Ethics. So that pricked my ears immediately in the sense that uh, this is going to be a a moral and ethical viewpoint. And it was within that context that the article prevailed in the sense that there's a leftist viewpoint and there's a right-wing viewpoint. And the sense that uh, you stick With a lefty one, it could be potentially destructive because you're spending all your time really trying to bag out the right or trying to eliminate the right and vice versa when the appeal there, as the article does suggest, is for everyone to play nice. Now, um, I'll provide a link to that article on this episode, but I think why that might provide a good opening for what I need to have a talk about in this episode is the sense that... It's that idea of politics as a talking piece. Now, what I was working very hard to try to illustrate in that last episode is that idea of one's experience informing one's political viewpoint. I tried to put forth the suggestion that my life has been very much a class-based one, one where I had some struggles, where particular needs mightn't have necessarily been met, which in some sectors of society could potentially have been met. And also what I was alluding to was that the ways that I have moved forward have often been enabled through things like embracing certain political concepts and also just reaching out to friends and comrades. As I mentioned in that last episode, the... There was at one point at the start of last year now where I really did make a general reaching out on social media, just asking for help. And normally, for me, that would have gone out to the health sector. Unfortunately, I was kind of at a situation where I thought, well, let's just put something out there amongst the comradeship and, and see what the uptake is. And gratefully, there was some good points of advice and people and places that i could go to so there's a couple of elements there one is that at its face when looking at social institutions and accessing stuff that society provides one might fall within a gap or one might present needs that said institutions might not necessarily provide to which a sense of community and also societal Assistance or mutual aid even is a good alternative in terms of keeping healthy, keeping it together, keeping it going on. So, yeah, it, it is very much a class situation that I crux my argument and my views upon. So I'm hoping that by illustrating that it does also in turn expose potentially some limitations that come through couching everything through the moralistic argument where politics is very much centered upon what one says because it's good and what one does is because it's good and anything that that runs counter to that is bad or unhealthy Perhaps something that I'd like to extend upon there is maybe looking at at what the material circumstances of what one person has to encounter before asserting some sort of moralistic argument to it. So I'm hoping that that paves the way to what I'd like to talk about for the remainder of this episode. Now, in terms of potential political ideologies or political concepts that I've embraced. One particular one has been anarchism. In embracing it, I don't promote or sell anarchism as lightning in a bottle. It it isn't one concept that's going to solve everything. It's not a magic bullet explanation. It's something that's, that's helped me, and it prompts me to gravitate towards others that might have similar or accept similar understandings or acceptance of such understandings and if there's enough similarities there then there's a connection and from there it's definitely a situation where I feel safe with the particular person and also perhaps an added bonus of seeing if there's any room to organize or, or do some cool political project that does provide a response to the things which might necessarily be meeting one's needs so with anarchism what immediately presents itself is a critique of state it's it's not necessarily a refusal of state although there are strands of anarchism that would suggest that to move forward and to reach a political end there must be insurrection and total eradication of state or total dismissal of state I'm not at a point to try and work out what political end goals are. I think that's something that's very much in the domain of other types of leftist political thought. And it might be also a bit amusing for me to say, but it is certainly something that is on the domain of the right in terms of finding political finality and permanency what appeals to me with anarchism is that there is an acceptance of ongoing development and progression and also being able to freely and healthily question the structures and semblances of order that currently provide the pillars of society so through that comes a healthy critical analysis of state a healthy critical analysis of the things that enforce the state. So by that, I refer to the police, as I might suggest later into this episode, and I certainly alluded to it in the last episode, the limitations of the health system in terms of meeting the needs of the population. So that's where I come from in embracing anarchism, and it helps me explain my world, explain my place within it, and... Also, it helps me do that in a very cogent way. So that's how it's assisted me. And if it, if that's an approach that other people have taken on and it's helped them, then that's fine. If it doesn't necessarily help, then don't stick with it just for the sake of just pleasing other people or thinking if it's the right thing to do. Do what you feel is going to meet your own need and what gives you joy. And also what you feel might give you some instrumental sense of existing and potentially finding out what to do and how to be. So I'm hoping that that kind of provides some explanation over any particular ideological standpoint that I have. Leftism and ideology are a particular tensions for me. I feel that there needs to be a balance between both. When you go to ideology, it produces a number of theories political theories, and how one embraces such theories can often be to the detriment of how one also engages with everyday life, the world, the ongoing movements of class, day-to-day activities, and so forth. When I say that I took up anarchism, It helped me avoid a sense of helpless misery. Um, Potentially what could have happened in my 30s and 40s would have been a process of self-destruction and also an avoidance of what I've seen other family members experience throughout their adult life where there is a suffering of the effects of intergenerational trauma. I also alluded to that a lot of members in my family also present on the autism spectrum. But I don't think it's something here that can be automatically isolated to one explanation or one diagnosis. There is a combination of things. It is complex. Anarchism helps me understand it. And I think that's where I'm ultimately coming from with all of this. So I go back to the idea of politics and theory now this also introduces me to this concept of the left and i use capital t for the capital l for left the left which presents itself as an institution to itself and i've had some experience I'm about to sound like a a nature documentarian at this point, but um, I've experienced the left in my life. And what I have noticed is that it is a world unto its own where it is very much theory-driven. And because of that, there is often the competition of theories to see which one will prevail. And there is um, a Leninist mantra that prevails here where if you get the theory right then you can get the practice right and you can get the political activity right it is the thing that sets everything off now i would disagree with that on two grounds one the theory if done in isolation might be so abstract it might actually have any relevance to the, the working class that you're attempting to proselytize or assist or enable The other thing is that it often creates a battleground within the left for different theories. Now, my experience through all of this particularly came through my undergrad days because you fall in with a group of lefties, you'll therefore expose yourself to a number of theories. So at one point, it was a bit of an experience where you're just basically shopping and go, that's cool, that sucks, that's cool. And you play around to see what fits Uh, So there is, my undergrad days thinking back on it, there was definitely an exploration of different political ideas, exploring one's politics, if you will. Looking back on it, I think what became quite suffocating and quite stressful, besides (laughs) all of the stuff that I mentioned in the last episode, was that, and it was almost like seeing stuff from the outside and I think that is through someone that has already seen things already but there was an abstraction there of seeing these different competing ideologies play out and I don't necessarily think at least back in my undergrad days and I would also fear to assume that this is probably going to carry over to stuff generally anyway that there is a battle of ideological theories Um, The lefties that propagate those theories to try to find out what's the best way of explaining the best doctrine. So there's different strands of it. To go into it could turn into a very political, scientific episode, which I don't necessarily want it to be, because then I feel that I myself would fall into the trap of distraction. So I've spoken about anarchism. I've referred to why it's useful to me. I'm hoping that might be something that could resonate with some people. If it does, fine. If it doesn't, good on you. Good luck to finding something else that will work for you. But with the the competing battles of ideologies, um, you can easily get caught up in that. And I think that it's definitely something that's very alluring something very enticing for middle-class types who haven't necessarily experienced problems, suffering, not necessarily meeting needs. Although perhaps there has been that idea of that understanding of alienation and isolation and having that existential wonderings about what one is doing here and how one makes sense of things. And also perhaps even just the coming into it through, as that conversation article would suggest, to a moralistic standpoint, where you've seen things and it's like, well, that's right, that's wrong. What's the best political way to explain it? So I guess the middle class about that is finding the best explanation, and that's where one can lose oneself in a battle of theories. That was my observation, particularly during my undergrad days, that was the lessons I learnt uh, once I completed my undergrad and, and went out into working life, uh, full-time working life. <laughs> uh, I did work during my undergrad degree, so I, I did get a bit proly during the study times, which I would argue that a lot of the people on capital T, capital L, the left didn't necessarily experience during their undergrad days and they definitely had all the time that they could to explore the best theory. But my point there is is that capital T, capital L, the left, presents a bit of a bubble in a ways. And for me, what I, like, what I continue to think about is whether there is some room to ally with sections of the left or it's something that is just going to do one's head in to try to find one's way of working within and around So that's still something that I deliberate on. But for me, it it feels good to actually talk about that stuff with a working class voice to say that there are some good aspects about it. There are some bad aspects about it. I do have some comrades that will outright refuse the left. But in the interest of organising, I would suggest that it is about retaining an optimism And (laughs) while that provides a bit of a hazard to faith-based, magical thinking, at the end of the day, it is one world and one load of people. If there are opportunities there, I think it is about remaining vigilant, but at the same time, just not getting caught up in what is the best theory, what is the best ideology. And once you get that nailed down, things will prevail. That's the bullshit part of it. So there's also the left but one thing I think also gets overlooked with that scene is that and this is something that's emerged over this past decade particularly I think it's definitely propagated through a new generation of lefty types that is the the rise of the toxic left and if it's one thing that I've learnt this year it's it has been about and I think I have alluded to this with this arm's length observation I've made of the left in that there are some organisations out there that I, I will just refuse to acknowledge, make contact with, or organise with. There's a holy trinity of organisations there that, that I'm not necessarily uh, too friendly with. In fact, possibly to the, the point of hostility, Um Let's name them. So, the Communist Party of Australia in its present, guys. The Socialist Equality Party and Socialist Alternative. All three of those organisations, and I'm hoping this is of interest to some, to others. You're, you're basically having a bit of a sleep at this point in time. I'm hoping that that provides some good ambience for you. <laughs> but Communist Party of Australia, Marxist-Leninist, the Socialist Equality Party, Trotskyist, the socialist alternative, orthodox Leninist, although that is up for dispute because socialist alternative very much acts in a way that apes, the ones that you see when you're at the shopping centre and they try to sign you up to where you're either looking to fund Greenpeace or local artists or, or what have you. There's definitely a, a corporatist aspect of socialist alternative which kind of defies the theory. But, but my point is, is that those are the organisations that pretty much take theory to the nth degree. And to the point where if you don't get it, then you're something that's referred to as sectarian which is to me a fancy lefty way of peer pressure and gaslighting if you say stuff that is untoward the doctrine or untoward the mission of either of those three organizations you get the sectarian brand stick and it's it's laughable considering there's not necessarily so grand intentions of those three organizations to me, they they still pretty much peripheral, diluted organisations, but they're there, they exist, that's fine, let them just be over there. So, those are three organisations I've sounded out as aspects of the toxic left, and I think that is definitely what is a turnoff for a lot of people that, that might be keen on becoming a bit more politically aware. I remember in my first and second years of my undergrad that when I first came across this stuff, I was suddenly thinking, okay, well, hammers and sickles, um, that's that's what it's about and you've got to say the right words and it all sounds rather foolish because these aren't words that I would be regularly using, like the idea of the proletariat and rising up against the masters and all that sort of stuff, which I can say quite readily and Comfortably now, but back then it was quite abstract and I kind of felt weird. But there is that insistence through the left say the right things, say it in the right way, have the correct arguments. How the fuck is someone supposed to get engaged with that? It's something that even after 20 or so years remains amusing to me. So, anyway, that's my Holy Trinity. Those are the ones that I particularly keep an arm's length from these days. And if anyone wants a more elaborate conversation about particularly Marxist-Leninism, I do also refer to a previous episode, episode 12, in fact, where I talk a bit more about that with Dave Eden, where we kind of unpack it a bit more and and why there's been such a phenomenal rise of Marxist-Leninist tanky thought and activity over the past decade, So I won't duplicate. At this point, just refer to people to that particular episode if they want to look further. Definitely don't go onto Reddit. Definitely don't follow anyone that has an account saying that Marxist-Leninism is cool. Here's the 40 or 50 links that you need to read. And if you read them, you've got to understand them properly. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, I think what still appeals to me, though, with the idea of leftiness and and leftist thought and the leftist understanding is the idea of capitalism to me that is an ontological premise and when i say that i mean that is a reality capitalism exists we are surrounded by capitalism it perforates and permeates i guess part of the political project is to identify it and try to understand how it works and how it manifests, I think there can be that real basic idea of the basic Marxist viewpoint of an upper and lower class or bourgeoisie and proletariat, and there's some sort of economic interactivity between both. That's one distilled way of explaining it. But how one wants to go into it is really up to them in terms of how full on they want to get with trying to understand that dynamic. But for me, it does centre on class. And I i mean, while the Marxism does help in some ways, it doesn't explain it all. There are different theorists, different experiences in life, <laughs> different people that I've known in my life that have impacted to cultivate an understanding there. And this is why I've come up with a podcast project like this in that there's no ultimate class picture, but a person can help towards making a clearer picture. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this podcast project to provide different shards of class. And hopefully if I make enough episodes, maybe there's enough shards to paste together a window. We'll see, but I'm not going to sweat on it. What is it? The, it's the appreciation of the journey and not the destination. So the people that I try to reach to these days, they're the ones that aren't necessarily looking to assert a career or become an uber activist or an influencer. I'm not intending to try to position myself to be an authority, if that's probably the best way to articulate it. There's a lot of those lefty types out there, and I don't see any coincidence in that a lot of those types are bound to organisations, be they leftist organisations or political parties. To me, there's often a conflict with being a member of an organisation in that often the interests are to maintain one's status, One's relevance within a group or an organization rather than really coming up with some cogent response. Last year, I've definitely clashed with a few people over such premises, established influencing types, ones that have been on TV to uh, provide the leftist view as part of the, the liberal conversation on the TV talking heads shows. But if there's one consistent thing that I've seen in response from these types, it's a prevailing sense of ego. It comes back to the idea of how many people have I reached out to and how many people are following me versus how much have you got, Michael? Nothing. Zip. Zilch. Who are you again? Come back to me when you do this and that. So that's competitive in the sense that what is organization about trying to find out or trying to cultivate a following to become an iconoclast, to join the club of iconoclasts and take on some sort of burden of iconoclastry. (laughs) Uh, I'm not too sure I'm a fan of that. And, um, I'd like to reach out to people that aren't necessarily buying into that and suppose that's where a fair whack of them are going to be anarchists. Even though um, some of these um, people that have sounded out as these egoistic iconoclast types disclose themselves as anarchists, but good luck to them. I just see the contradictions in, in what you do. And rather than engage with you, and I guess this is something that I've learnt last year, rather than engage with you, rather than trying to come up with a consensus, I will just ignore you. I I don't have time for you. My energy is best spent elsewhere. I'd just like to reach out to the people that aren't going to buy into that sort of stuff. And this is why the podcast is here. (laughs) I hope that such episodes are, are kind of a beacon to those kind of people and we get to chat more. So I've spoken about the left, capital T, capital L. I've spoken about... How abstract or how much in a bubble the left might be towards greater working class activity. I've also sounded out some elements of toxicity within the left that remains unresolved, and I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be resolved anytime soon because it's not necessarily a middle class interest to do so, where, whereas it is very much a working class interest, I would argue or a working class need to resolve. Uh, I would also, at this point, like to talk about uh, a rising... and One other aspect of iconoclastry, I think, comes across with the policy wonk. You definitely see this on shows like The Drum or Q&A, and even The Project, which I think over the last couple of years has, has gained some sort of leftist legitimacy. You see policy wonks lob up there where they act as a voice of leftist reason and a lightning rod where any alternative is couched within an effective policy debate. And if there is going to be a solution, It will eventually be a social democratic one where if you create the right amount of policy influence, it will shape elections, it will persuade institutions, it will lead to civil change. Now, that precludes a great number of people. How many policy wonks are out there? Now, I do feel that I'm conformed to discuss such things given that I've recently completed a master's in public policy and governance. I wrote a final thesis that explores such issues in that if there is the creation of public policy, how inclusive can it be to all stakeholders attached to any policy formation or construction? Where does power and authority still lie in policy formation? And I would argue that A lot of the maintenance of policy authority is still a syndrome that can be owned by lefties just as much as the conservatives and also social democrat types. Look, I mean, like, um, lefties have got to work like anyone else. But if you have a paying professional job where you're being paid to provide professional punditry on policy stuff, you're going to be bound to that. And you've got to sell yourself as an expert Or otherwise, if it's found that that this stuff can be done through a variety of different actors, different social participants, and more particularly the people who would benefit and really need good, sound social policy, that's going to increasingly show that a policy expert or a policy academic might not necessarily be required. Now... That's a contradiction that I see there. And I think it's something that remains relatively underlooked. But then again, what is also remaining relatively underlooked is aspects of toxic leftist organisations. My Trinity, for example. Again, I think this goes back to a working class question. A working class need is for some sort of activity that is going to meet those needs. And I think if there is going to be any demands that come towards what an alternative is, I think they would need to come from a working class base. I'm not sure that this can be conjured up or propagated by a suite of policy experts. It's something that I've noticed in the last few years. I suppose uh, we've created um, a civil environment for that sort of stuff. You look at the shows that, that lob up on TV these days, There's a podcasting industry for this sort of stuff. I I raise this just as a sake of just putting it out there to say that this is, while there is some good uses to it, I say just don't put all your eggs into one basket. There is a variety of options. And at the end of the day, just how much does it meet working class need? Perhaps one other aspect that I'd like to talk about is the union movement and I think I've led my lone wolf commentary in this episode up to this point. As it is with all roads leading to Rome, as that saying goes, all political movements within the left drain invariably lead towards a union institutional hub. Now, what I experienced last year was this tension between unions presenting themselves as a voice for good civil society and definitely promoting a a variety of campaigns to assert that. A few that immediately come to mind are safe work practice and safe work protocols within a COVID-19 working environment. I can also think of... The introduction of equal pay, so community services reaching a level of pay that gets closer to parity with the standard market levels of wage. I can also think about the activities that are currently underway with the ACTU with attempting to broach with government and coming up with effective economic recovery, although it remains unclear to me exactly what that looks like what's going to eventuate, what are the potential outcomes to that, that is all unclear to me. But my point here is that while the union has definitely promoted a number of worthy social issues, and it's definitely issues that should be organised around and observed, what I did encounter last year was a reluctance to get any support for issues immediately affecting my own and my colleagues working life that's particularly important when you've got some work colleagues that are union members already others that aren't necessarily unionized or are union members but I'd also like to introduce a third category there as well where There are work colleagues that were former union members and there are stories there to suggest why they are no longer members. Now, it isn't as clear cut as to say, well, they've suddenly had a conservative, liberal awakening and they suddenly thought that union membership wasn't the thing for them. Uh, Not really. Um, Rather, it's more about that they felt abandoned by their union where there was a sense that unions had bigger fish to fry. And I would agree with that in the sense that when you, as a union affiliate, look to come up with a political strategy that's very top-heavy on rolling campaigns and also a very top-down promotion of those campaigns and a a great limit on how members can participate within such. You're also putting a break upon how one can exist as a worker and also what solidarity exists as a worker in regards to the union movement. So my experience last year was that i tried to seek out or i attempted to seek out assistance through my union for formation of a whs committee which didn't necessarily materialize for reasons being that because i was the only member there it's just i'm a small fish i'm a blip on the radar so can't have union resources it's up to me and this is what (laughs) a union official told me outright If I'm going to get help, I need to recruit more members. Go fuck yourself, union official. So there was that issue. There was also um, a circumstance where the funding for my job was potentially at risk. Union assistance was required to establish a dialogue with HR. By the end of it, I had to virtually twist their arm Replies from union come after the 14-day limitation period, like literally on the 14th day, so they can escape the fact that they never replied or they ghosted. So by the end of it, it was a case of them just giving me access to the right parts of my organisation's HR to advocate on behalf of myself and other workers to which this funding situation would um, be affected By the end of it, I got a a good outcome, but I had to work very hard for it. And the ironic thing is, is that a lot of the energy was not so much towards trying to establish a concordance with HR for my work organisation, but rather it was just basically to get into the ear of my union and ask for help. So anything that's locally based within the workplace I'm just not sure that there is a, the support out there at the moment. I'm not sure if there is the interest for that stuff at the moment. That's where my energies now lie as a worker. Like, where is the union support for any workplace democratic activity? Where if you need answers from within your organisation regarding your quality of work, is the union going to support you with that? Or are they just going to tell you, sorry, Joe or "Joe, Jolene, josephine you're gonna have to recruit more members and then we'll talk i just find that a huge contradiction and particularly the other aspect as well is that these campaigns are also centered upon an election cycle you notice that they have three to five year half lives which also coincide with australian federal and state terms These campaigns come and go depending upon the success or failure of of union campaigns geared on elections. I think the one that comes to mind straight away was the Change the Rules campaign that was done coinciding with the last federal cycle of which SCOMO got up quite surprisingly and quite abruptly. But of course, the consequence of that is, is that that union campaign is therefore a lame duck. And literally overnight, everything got rebadged to the new campaign. So change the rules became for the workers, different three word slogan, different coloring, different Facebook groups, different social media. But the tactic remains the same election centered campaigning. And again, I wonder how relevant while it's worthy, of course, I question how relevant it is for on-the-ground workplace democracy and workplace democratic practice. And looking into 2021, that's where, as a working activist, that's where I'm particularly looking to assert myself now. What are the opportunities for workplace democracy? How does that unfold? Who do you connect with in order to find that out? How do you organise about that sort of stuff, particularly when union official term may or may not be counted upon in getting such a thing up and running? I have some answers and perhaps that I might be able to allude to them or even full explore them in future episodes. But for now, um, it's a bit of an experimental process for me in reaching out to people and also... Finding out exactly what I can do uh, without stretching myself and breaking like a rubber band or turning into a puddle, whatever, <laughs> whatever metaphor that I can use to um, to suggest that maybe self care needs to be something also to consider here. So just heading towards the home stretch of my second part of the ranty series. What are class demands? I've spoken a lot so far in this episode that everything is juxtaposed by where one exists within class struggle and where one presents one's political needs but what are actual clear cut class demands i think this is what also harks back to capital t capital l the left and also having a big battle of the theories over because part of that is also trying to work out exactly what a uh, relevant class demands. Uh, I don't think it's that complicated, and often they're hiding in plain sight. I'm currently recording this on the 3rd of January 2021. There's a few things bubbling around that I reckon would easily manifest into very easy class, working class demands. They are, within Sydney, a COVID-19 elimination strategy. They are a movement towards achieving Indigenous sovereignty. And, and thirdly, and as mentioned earlier, the establishment of good workplace democratic practice. Those are the three things that I can immediately sound out, and that's just me. Those are the types of things I'll be very keen on organising around. These are the things I'd be very keen on reaching out to people for. This isn't necessarily something I need to join an organisation for in order to find some sort of value or some sort of ballast towards what I can do. This is stuff that I just want to immediately act upon straight away as a class participant. Again, I want to reach out to the people that kind of feel the same way about that. I don't need to be gaslighted into thinking and feeling a certain way and having the right politics or saying the right things. Uh, maybe I did that at one point in my life, but these days, not so much. I've become too much of a rat bag to, to really buy into that stuff. So the types of projects that I'm, I'm looking into, of course, this podcasting stuff, and I'd like to try to see how I can best insert myself within the, the union terrain. I have an idea there uh, in that. I have created a, a bit of a group of union activists um, where it hasn't really been that active, but it's been my attempt to, to keep the dialogue going. Um, I've become a member of a, of a local anarchist group um, where there is a community project. They're running a bookstore. Uh, it's called Jura Books. I returned to membership after a, a several years of, of uh, stopping my membership and um, and a lot of that has to do with um, reasons that I've discussed in the last episode and also continuing to work as a community worker um, rather than cashing in my master's degree. There has been opportunities to for me to jump into the political wonkery world, but given what I've seen and what I've been able to do professionally last year, I've decided not to buy it. Um, this is good stuff. Um, this is stuff that, that gives me a sense of meaning and, and well, not purpose, <laughs> but enablement. I think enablement is key uh, and that's what keeps me going. So it's those types of things that I look into. And possibly one other thing that I, I want to try to explore also is the idea of capacity building. Now, I remember back on my undergrad days where um, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking what the fuck is that white middle-class kid talking about when he says that the idea of good leftist political activity is upholding a revolutionary vanguard. Uh, yeah, even when I explain that now, uh, I'm thinking there might be a few listeners out there that are kind of just like hearing that and a are agape. <laughs> uh, I won't bore you with it, with really fully going into all of that. Um, but I think it does raise questions of capacity building in the sense of rather than coming up with the best political theory or promulgating the correct political doctrine, what's the ability for people to organise? What's the ability for people to connect with each other? Where are the forums to do that? This is a stuff that I'd like to organize as well. And one idea that I have is is a bit of a soft entry point to that in, in coming up with a, a leftist DND group. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to gently um, suggest to Jura books if that's something I could explore with them. But um, uh, if there's anyone from Jura listening, yep, yeah, that, that's been on my mind. That's my agenda. <laughs> Let's, let's talk later. <laughs> but I do feel that capacity building stuff is, is definitely key. And I think I'm at a point in my life where I think if there is some sort of value that I have politically, it is, I think, being able to educate, share and support. I think I can do that stuff now, um, as well as continue to put stuff on fire, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, of course. So as I wrap things up here, I conclude it in a similar way that I did with my last episode, that if this podcast is going to be of any use to you, that's great. If not, that's fine. I'm hoping that it is a site of connection for people, um, being able to create um, a useful political dialogue it's also a place to have a chat about lighter things, about lefty political culture, or what is the merits of the latest Mandalorian series, um, what does that mean for the rise of streaming television, I don't know, all that stuff can be discussed as well, which I've kind of started to do with, um, with my regular offsider John. Again, I I just want to reiterate it. It's not a game of persuading or negotiating with sections of capital T, capital L, the left. You guys just do what you want. I'll be over here. So if there is one ultimate message here, it is that the cult of the individual and the cult of the successful individual, um, whether it be a lefty social influencer or someone that's written the perfect book deal or someone that is suddenly getting a following of over 10,000 people over Facebook. While there is political usefulness for it, I I just don't think it should be the, the, the main pillar of things. I'd like to explore alternatives. And that's where I'm coming from with this podcast. And I think that's where I might leave it at that point. So on that note, I'd like to conclude this episode. I encourage people to keep listening. Um, for this year at least, um, I'm looking to continue the project. Uh, have episodes, hopefully on a weekly basis. Um, talk to a variety of people, paint a greater picture of class activity, class identity, class struggle providing those different shards of glass and hopefully you can paste them together and it creates a picture and a reflection. So I'll leave it at that. So long everyone, see you next time.